Hello and welcome to the Nefer Coaches Corner, June 2022. We really appreciate listening to the podcast and we would really appreciate a like and a share as well. So before we get into the detail of this month's podcast, let me bring you up to date about all the things that have been happening at Nefa over the past month. Firstly, we announced our partnership with Notts County Football Club that will see us run a development centre in Rotherham for the under 13 to under 16 age groups. Really exciting for us to be working with Notts County and the really good people that they have at the club rejuvenating the academy there. In addition to that big news, we have also acquired AFC Mansfield Football Club. Really exciting for us as well as we offer our players that extended player pathway into senior adult football. That's what it's all about. That's why we've done it. We've got some excellent young players at NEFA and we want to give them as many opportunities to go and play in senior football as possible. We're also going to be doing some really uh, interesting and innovative things with that football club as well. So please uh, keep abreast of all of our socials and our website for everything that is going on with those two big news pieces. Anyhow, on to the podcast and, well, what can I say? Well, I'm not going to say too much because the next 90 minutes does really speak for itself. Our special guest was Steve Salis and the conversation, the insight, the debate was really centred around his book, Educating Football. And look, it is absolutely one of the best coaches' corners that we have done. Um, really, really interesting. Steve was excellent. And as I said, there was loads of interesting points, debates, bit of laughter, bit of fun in there as well. And I'm sure you're going to enjoy the next 90 minutes. So we're always looking for feedback. Um, we're always looking for suggestions of what you guys would like to hear or who you would like to hear from. So please do get in touch if you can think of anybody or there's anybody that you would like to hear from or anything that you think we could be doing better. So I'll let you enjoy the next 90 minutes with the Nefa Coaches Corner June 22 with Steve Salis. Nefa Coaches Corner of the 21-22 season. A warm welcome to tonight's guest, Steve Salis. Now, Steve is a an author, as well as being a mindset and leadership mentor who's helped thousands of people through guest lectures, seminars and individual support. Some of his roles have included working with the England under-15 national team, supporting numerous Premier League players with mental conditioning support and also delivering for the Scottish FA on the UEFA Pro and a licence courses. Steve's also featured in a Netflix documentary which entails supporting world-class athletes in need of cognitive and technical performance support. Now England international Jude Bellingham says of Steve he's one of the best developers in world football and a must-have at every football club and his book Educating Football is one of my favourite books around the subject of coaching and teaching and the football industry and he rightly received international press coverage and acclaim and we will be focusing on a section of that book this evening coaching champions but before we get into the many questions we have from steve and hopefully from you the audience regular listeners will know that this is ryan's favorite part of the show isn't it ryan 
Yeah, and I, f- I figured out why it's the, my favourite part of the show, Spencer. It's because it's the bit in the show where I get to speak for the longest. So it's all about you, Ryan. It is all when, about when it's you. about me. I'm, that's it when is. I'm at my that's when I'm at my best and my most it comfortable. Is. So. Yeah. yeah, I agree. So tonight's question, I've tried to keep it topical about the conversation that we're going to have this evening, and the question is, which country has the best diet development program? So. Have a go. Choose from one of the fantastic choices I have given you to choose from. And whilst you are doing so, I'll run through some of the house rules for this evening. If you want to make a general comment on something that you're hearing, or if you want to share some of your contact details, be that a LinkedIn address or a Twitter address, then then that is the chat box. It's the chat box for you. Um, If you want to ask a question to Steve tonight, please do put your question in the Q&A box. That makes my life much easier and it gives you the best chance of your question being asked as well. So questions in the Q&A box, general chat and sharing of socials in the chat box. Right then, we'll get another few seconds for people to have a go. Spencer, I'm going to come to you and say, where would you have gone? Where would you have gone on that? It's a tough one, this. It's a tough one. I would go for Brazil. And for Brazil, so I remember reading somewhere there were more Brazilian players playing at the highest level in the Champions League than other nations. Now, whether that's their player development model, who knows? And they've won five World Cups. However, they haven't won one for 20 years. That's so, it. So, so, so I'm going Brazil. I'm going Brazil. Steve, where would you? Where have you gone? Who have you voted for? Well, you didn't let me vote because there was a little no. wall saying panelists feel like I'm back at school. But I did go for Holland. I put it in the I put it in the chat room, boys. Oh, no. Well, let's let, let, let's have a little look at the results. Well, oh, wow, Steve, you, you're with the majority. Yeah. Holland, led by England. Not many for Brazil's, Ben. No, surprising. Nothing for Argentina nothing. as well. Yeah. There we go. But yes, Holland, I mean, what a fantastic nation they are in terms of developing coaches, but, but players as well. Well, Steve, welcome. Uh, nice to have you on our, our NEPA Coaches Corner. Um, how's your day been today? Have you been out and about? Well, the first thing I'm going to pick your brains on is during my fantastic biog, which is very humbling, you didn't mention eight years ago, I'm walking down school corridors with my MS suit on, getting chips lobbed at my head with a bit of ketchup on, and one actually just bounced off my shoulder and hit me in the eye once. So you, you didn't mention that in, in my biog, Spence. I'm disappointed. <laughs> I, was, I was ready to tee it up, Steve, for the first question, because I really want to know, um, you know, and is it the one about, you know, your... You're way into education, the schools that you worked at, because I know we've uh, communicated before about it. I think it's fantastic, the work that you did. So, so you know, can you give us some background you know, on, your, on your work in education in the schools? Well, well I'll start with, with when, I, when I create for my sort of seminars, the downgrade theme. You know, people that know my work, I'll just think of a theme and then I go and ride it out, um, you know, in real life. I normally think of them in the car. But the, the, the truth is I fluked. A lot of my work because um, I've got some crappy A-levels um, whilst um, I did night school and I was at Brighton and I was the only footballer in my youth team to have any A-levels, right? So then I went to Greenwich Uni. Now, anyone that knows Greenwich, very affluent place, but around the outside of South East London, there is some really challenging, you know, poverty-stricken areas. So going to Greenwich Uni, I committed to a three-year education degree. It was a, it was a B-Ed. So most people do a PGC add-on. So I'm actually really proud to, to do that. And actually, I think 
I've never shared this with anyone before, actually. I think that was one of the key components of, of my skill set. What I mean is, if someone goes and does a geography degree and then says, I want to go and do a PGCE, they just decide they're going to be a teacher in a year. Whereas we committed to education for three years. So I did three placements at three schools. The first school was in Greenwich, where as I went um, in 1997. Second school was called Stanley Tech in Croydon, which has now got, now got closed down, which was an all-boys school. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, can I tell the truth on this? Yeah, yeah. of course you can. Yeah. Course you can. Between the, 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 the four walls. Right, yeah. I'm just going to stop. There was a boy called Dean, and um, we had to teach dance on the national curriculum. And so I said to the boys, um, and the head of PE, you know, I was a trainee teacher. This was the year after, 1998. So I said to the head of PE, I said, oh, we've got dance. And he said, look, whatever you do, don't tell the boys we've got dance until they get changed. Right. So but, but it was good that the school were up for it because they didn't have to deliver it. So we had you know, typical concrete jungle, no grass. So there was this boy called Dean. I still remember his surname, but I can't reveal that on this call. So I said, right, boys, um, we're going into the hall, walk across the playground to do dance. And he, he went, <laughs> he went, I ain't fucking doing dance. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, it was a bit of an altercation. I was obviously a trainee teacher. So I sort of, at this stage, used my, my social science intuition to just, not you know reverberate back some aggression and he got changed from his peak kit back into a school uniform and he went i ain't fucking doing it so basically you probably wouldn't get that in most places in in england in a school and that was pretty much what it was like like that's that was early doors just coping with those types of kids and and everyone that knows me i loved it because it was just funny and then, and then the third placement, I got a job in, in the biggest school in London, 2,800 kids we had, uh, 15 form entry school. And then um, they offered me a job at my final, my final placement. So I obviously did quite well there. And um, it was a big football school. That's where um, Ben Chorley went, who's the former director of Swindon. I was officially his teacher, which is one joke between us. Michael Turner had a good career in the Premier League, uh, Junior Stanislas and, and many others. So... Yeah, that that was really it, guys. I just I just turned up at these schools, and I was probably really suited to these types of environments. To be honest, I, I thought that story was going to go differently, and you and him sort of formed a dance partnership, and you went on to be champions of the sort of southeast region. <laughs> I'm very proud, guys. I will say this: this is not about my eclectic world. You know, when I talk about teaching and learning, and people just I know people think I'm marmite. Like I know they do. They just can't handle the truth sometimes, but. Because my understanding of just education generically, rather than just an overload, which I always mock the overload. Now, people think overload's going to win a game of football, but, you know, players running around for you is going to win a game of football and players trying harder and being a good human being. Is that I, I did GCSE uh, in dance, so I got a C grade. So I'm like the only bloke in the world, probably, that I know that's got a C grade in GCSE dance. But, you know, that was that's always been my mindset. I don't, I don't worry what other people think. I just do what I think's right and... I probably always have done, even as a kid. Still got the moves? No, terrible. <laughs> so you've gone from working in these interesting environments and then, dare I say, you've gone into another interesting environment because you then leave education to go and work at Millwall. Yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, within the management team. How did that come about and what was your role there? Well, next pupil changed my life. So this is the sincere bit again. Everyone always say teachers change kids' lives, but he texted me and he said, Mr. Salis, there's a job going at Millwall. Have you seen it? Obviously, I live in the heart of South East London. 
So never, ever, I was a vice principal at that stage. So never, ever thought. Um, and anyway, Larry McAvoy, who was 18's manager still now, love Larry, I call him as loyal as a dog. He literally is the most loyal bloke I've ever met. So he's the only one I knew there. And I said, oh, I'm going to chuck my hat in the ring. And he said, no, deadline's gone. I'm like, oh, no, it killed me. So anyway, chuck my CV in anyway to see if I can get something. On the Thursday, you couldn't make it up. There was a teacher strike. And I was very proud to be part of the teachers' union. And I would never, never not strike. So I, I, we had this teacher strike. And I had the interview on that day. So anyone that knows education, you can't, you know, you have to tell your boss if you're going for an interview. Right. So anyway, I got the job on the Thursday, got it on the Friday. They phoned me on the Thursday night, went into my boss and said, I'm leaving. He went, yeah, ha ha, of course you are, because he would have known if I'd gone to an interview. So I said, no, I'm going into private sector. So it all happened within five, six days. And uh, I was obviously Academy of Management and Head of Education and Welfare. And um, I sat there day one and um, was the loneliest man in the world. There was no noise. The team had gone out to train. I was me, it, was me and the, it was me and the chef at the ground. And I thought, what have I done? Um, yeah, really lonely day one. It was a weird day, really weird day. And anyway, I loved, I loved every minute of it there, really. I, I, well, I spent, um, I, I left 2017 April, so I yeah, spent three and a half years there. So um, it's just a brilliant time, learned loads, but it really also confirmed that the word professional shouldn't be anywhere near some parts of the system. And I don't just mean at Millwall, I mean, I mean like things like, Things like football league meetings, people just turn up an hour late and it was just like, what's that all about? And it'll be the same people every year and you think, like, and, and Alan, Alan used to love me at LFE because I turn up like an hour and a half early. Like, I go Leicester, I'd have to go Reading, I'd have to go like miles away, but I'd leave at four o'clock to get there. Like, but yeah, so that's, that's really where I'm at. People can't even turn up on time. Very true. Very true. And something I've experienced, you know, and I think Ryan as well, you know, working in the game. Um, so, I mean, obviously, you know, you've done a lot of stuff recently, Stephen, obviously the brilliant book, Educating Football, which we'll come to. What, what kind of stuff are you up to at the moment? What projects have you got going on? Well, I've got, I've got two school projects this week. So I've got um, My Future Self, which is the mindset project, yeah. which people know about. I bore people to death on social media. And I, I say this all the time. As soon as you have a business, it panics you guys because you two got a business. Like, your socials have got to be on it. So I just want to say thank you, firstly, to all the people that are listening to us tonight. I need to say thank you. And that's your Monday night. So I'm very humbled that we got some people you know, have signed up tonight. So thank you to you all. But yeah, just really, just where am I at the moment? I had a bit of a burnout before Christmas. So I was a bit done in. And then I've learned again, in business, you learn what not to do. So I think that anything that stresses you out in a major way, and, and I'm going to, I will answer the question, but I think it's important that I share this part. In school, I always knew my pinch points. I knew parents' evenings would knacker me out a bit. I knew Saturday mornings. I knew if I had to do a rewards trip in the school holidays, you know, people have always gone about your holidays, but I didn't, holidays don't exist when you're senior leader. So I remember taking a load of kids to Thorpe Park with 60 books and marking books in my school holidays, that type of stuff. So you just get your pinch points. Football club, you get your pinch points because you've got Saturday fixtures and you know when your pinch points come there and you build up to the game. And then having a business, it's just like, it's just shit or bust all the time. You just, you just like manic or you're not. So I've got some really exciting things coming up. Obviously, pre-season starts with Cardiff this week. I've got two school gigs Wednesday, Thursday. And then next week, I'm speaking with um, Jason Robinson at an event in um, the rugby player event in Oxford at a retreat. 
So I can't complain. Things things are coming on non nicely, which means, you know, like this morning I played golf with my old man and took him out. So that means that I'm, I'm actually getting my life back a little bit because I'm not having to worry so much about a thing called money. Yeah. Jason Robinson, I saw him speak about two or three weeks ago at a Rugby League World Cup dinner. Absolutely tremendous fella. Really so humble. Uh, could listen to him all day. So uh, I'm sure that'll be good. So... Yeah. Uh, before we get into, into educating football, I follow you on LinkedIn and I, I like you know reading what you've put on there. And you, you put something on recently, Steve. It was about this advert, wasn't it, from a football club? Do you want to tell us a bit more about it? Well, the advert came came from a friend. I don't I don't look at these these um, I don't look at these um, websites for jobs because I'm not interested in these jobs. But he texts me, uh, and he's one of my best pals, and he played in the conference for 10 years right and he's a miles better player than i ever was right um just really effective non-league player that played at the highest level of non-league for a very long time and uh, he's currently working at a cat free academy so he called me and it was a couple of different jobs the first one said you need experience of cat too right and this guy's been a school teacher as well as well as being an a license so it came from, this is just a load of bollocks, not, not just picking on that football club for that advert. So I just want to make sure that that's clear. Yeah. He then messaged and said, you've got to have three years pro. Now this guy played at the highest end of non-league, right? played, played in the FA Cup against Premier League players with a non-league club. And he played in the highest level of non-league. And by, by that advert, and he'd be unbelievable at any club at any level. He can't apply for that job because he ain't played pro football for three years. So I suppose, because I'm proud of non-league and I was proud to be a non-league player and know the level. We spoke off air about how good the level is now. I get offended when people say, I didn't play league football, it winds me up. Because yes, I wasn't as good as you, but I played a lot of games of football and very proud to play a lot of games of football. And played lots of games of bad football as well and good football. But I played until I was 33. Played over 400 non-league games. So for me to not be able to apply for that job, by that, by that example, let's just, just take my friend out of it, it's just bullshit. Like that's, that's saying that a guy that's played three years pro is going to be technically by paper better than me because he's played three years pro. Now, he could have been three years pro and played 25 games and other people in, in the National League could have played 500 games. So I appreciate it was a bit ambiguous, but I suppose that what I'm trying to do with, with being, I suppose, the outlier in the game or one of the few outliers is just question people to say, are what you're doing, is it ethical? Is it moral? Is it inclusive? And is it seen as good practice? Now, I mean, it's had ninety thousand views on 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 LinkedIn. It's been it's been pretty popular, yeah. but that says a lot, guys, doesn't it? That it has been popular. So a couple of people have written on there and gone, "Well, it's their choice. It's not what they want to do." Absolutely fine. But then clubs have got to do better at explaining their rationale about reasons why, because that's what inclusion is. Yeah. So I haven't got any issue with them going for what they want. No problem. What I have got an issue is, is with flippant, non-sort of metacognitive processes about, oh, we'll just do what we've always done, and then that's all right. But no, guys, like that's not all right. That that advert 
it's not an inclusive advert. And all I want, you know, the listeners on tonight's call is to say, look, when I say think about thinking, just think about what you're doing and go and get a, go and seek someone's advice, you know, even HR department and say, look, let me know what your thoughts are. So, so anything that, that, that improves, you know, I want to be, when I'm 85, I just want to sit in the armchair and I just want people to go, yeah, he made the game better. That's all I want. So that, um, was, that was the reason, guys. That was the reason. We see it so often, don't we? You know, we see it with you know certain qualifications that you need to work in the academy system, but you can only get those qualifications if you're in the academy system already, uh, and it's rife in football. But I think, you know, you look at three years' experience. Three years' experience of what? You know, would you have experience or do you have people that are knowledgeable? Like the, the friend you mentioned, a licensed teacher, loads of games. If I was selecting somebody to work in the academy, that's where you'd want to go and... It's laziness, yeah. ignorance. But, but also, I will, I will. Let's let's just chuck the other, you know, the other side to it. There are loads of ex-pros. There are a lot, by the way, loads that have got three years' experience and an A license, and would also be really good. So I, I think, I think it's important to see both sides. But again, to say that comment as an essential, anyone that's worked in youth development. I, I'm like that's got to go in a desirable corner, like it, it's got to go in there. Anyway, it, it it is what it is, but I hope it just challenges people's thinking around how it didn't offend me, but it could offend others, and it and it clearly has. Yeah, Steve, how how heartened were you by the, um, the some of the responses were? That's what we, uh, we we love we love it when it when it catches fire like that because the the responses are both interesting informative funny sometimes as 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 well and you know there were some responses listing off all the all the great coaches and managers that wouldn't have been able to go that job were you heartened by that some of the responses yeah i don't i'm not i'm not um i'm not a wallflower so if people challenge me back i'm very relaxed about it they will make me better by challenging me back um was a guy wrote ex-pro wrote about everyone needs a degree these days for every job and that that was that was valid but i did respond with well i don't think it's quite the same that's like saying an ex-pro that then gets a teaching degree can't apply for a teaching job about three years teaching experience and so you know again i was like well no it's not quite the same you know if someone wants to go and get an a license to go and do a degree the guided learning hours for an a license is still a first year degree level just depends what people want to do with their lives doesn't it so you know i think people missing the trick having an a license and a pro license is is hard work so you know if you choose to use those hours to go and get a degree or an a license if you go and get an a license without being rude you're limiting your chances to get a job aren't you Absolutely. And, and Spencer, there's that great quote, isn't there, from, you know, former AC Milan head coach, Arrigo Saki, that you and I both like. Yeah, I think it's along the lines, I didn't realise I had to be, uh, is it a jockey before a horse or something like that? That's uh, in, in, order, in order to be a jockey, I didn't realise that you had to first be a horse. That's the one. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I mean, but just so that the audience know as well, Spencer reached out to me with this fantastic email couple of years ago suspension I'm grateful for that because you know right when people read the book you're like wow you know you put a lot of effort into that email Spencer and I didn't put loads of effort back but the reasons why when I get 20 of them a week it's hard but the point is Spencer we're still in touch and I think that you know for the outside for the outside world or people listening I think your behavior Spencer is is the reason why we're on this call like you've made the effort to spend a brilliant email talking about both of our journeys 
and how our journeys align with difficult human beings and trying to make their lives better are more significant and you know are more worthy and and, and raising self-esteem at the level we do and 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 that's led to this so you know, i do i do think that people make their own luck as well right with with how they behave um so i thought i'd touch on that as well guys no thank you and i think you know when i read the book and we're, of course we're going to cover it in depth it just resonated with me steve you know my experiences of working in a professional academy system being from an education background 28 years in the sector and seeing what i saw and thinking hold on a minute yeah some wonderful clubs some wonderful clubs but then some that uh, probably need to uh, to look in the mirror a bit but it certainly resonated with me ryan yeah so steve the, the book educating football you know what what was the reason you decided to write the book what was what was the moment what was the process first thing i just finished my masters so people in the football industry call me a sports psych sports psychs hate me don't they because i i take a lot of their clients um but my master's degree was in educational psychology and leadership so this is the genuine story i've gone into millwall um it was about a month sorry month one week four all the guys are sitting around dinner and they were talking about this guy that had written a book and i've never seen so many people be so wow but wow he's written a book he's written a book and i'm like I'm sitting there, just a cup of tea, listening to everyone, taking it all in and going, I've just finished my master's. So I've been writing in the evenings, like three years. Right? Master's, just in case anyone knows, it did actually make me cry and it did actually kill me. Like, hardest thing I've ever done with a full-time job. But anyway, I was in, I was in like this, this detox of, uh, what am I going to do with my evenings? So I've just been writing like for, for five, for, sorry, for three years for my MA. So the truth is, they said this guy's written a book. I had a light bulb moment over a cup of tea sitting in the training ground. And I went, I'm going to write a book. Like, just like that. All right. So I went to the pub on the Thursday night because when I would stop teaching, on, when you're in academy football, Fridays are happy days. You just do half day and go home. And in teaching, that never happens. <laughs> right. So I was, I was having a pint on a Thursday night for the first time ever in my adult life. Like, because you can't do that. Anyone that's been a school teacher, you can't go out on a Thursday night. You can't ever go into school with a hangover. So I said to all my best pals, I said, um, I said, how's work going, you know, first, first month? I said, I'm going to write a book. And they literally pissed themselves laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course you are. And, and I went, well, no, I'm going to. And then, you know, people like me sort of talk about it and then hopefully execute. And I went in that morning and I wrote the first chapter in the office about seven in the morning called He Can't Do That, which was basically around me going to 23's game in the week load of recruitment guys are standing on the side going yeah he can't do that yeah he struggles yeah he ain't very good at that and i'm thinking you lot fucking recruited these players right you handpicked them and then you're saying that they can't do stuff and in teaching you would never hear that yeah you just wouldn't hear that language you just you just put intervention plans in you know all you hear is what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? So that was the biggest light bulb for me in, in pro football. I'm like, people just find it acceptable just to not do something about it. Yeah. And that's why I think I'm mental because like, like, it's like that's what you got to do. That's your job. Yeah. Absolutely. How many times, you know, I've heard on touch like, not good enough. Nah, never make it. Yeah, but what are you here to do? Not a coach. Do something. Help, help the boy that's coming in. And like you say, it's, it's the clubs that have recruited them as well at school. You know, we get everybody in, don't we? The clubs are specific in their recruitment. Well, people have heard me say this story. I've got 2,800 kids. 
I don't handpick any kid, and over five years I have to add value. And only football handpicks every player and then moans about them. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, why, why do you think this is a football thing, though? Because, you know, we're, we're in the game as coaches, most of us to help people, you know, as teachers as well. But then we just seem to, you know, just brush some players, oh, he's not big enough or he'll never make it. I mean, why do you think that's in football? I mean, I don't know whether it's in other um, sports, cricket, rugby, I'm not so sure. I've not been around them. Why, why do you think it's like that? I, I, I still to this day can't answer it. We know that there's people out there that do do it. So... It can't just be labelled the game as people like that. I mean, I've met some unbelievably caring people that are coaches that have been pros and not pros. They just fit the boxes of, of what it should be. But I think, you know, people and the game and other industries, I'm sure, are institutionalised by the same thinking. You always do what you've always done. You get what you've always got. And so now, eight years into, into me being in pro football, I'm sort of seen as this guy that's like a... You know, like I think an intelligent guy. But remember, I was the same guy eight years ago getting mugged off. But I'm the same guy with the same passion, the same drive, the same knowledge. It's only because a few of the sheep get on my bus now. But, you know, we worked out the sheep ages ago because they weren't on the bus in the first place, if that makes sense. So I don't, I, don't, I don't have the answers to why everybody is like that. I just think it's just a level of institutionalised thinking. And also, let's be really sincere about it. People in football, guys, I think they want to do really well. Honestly, they just don't know how to. And I, and I do say that sincerely. I've worked doing this for 25 years and been around some unbelievable people. And I work with some guys. All they have to worry about is themselves and perform on a Saturday. Right? Now, that's great because they've played and I wasn't good enough. But that's what, you know, strength lies in differences, not similarities. Right. And that's what truly inclusive environments are. And because I've worked under so many head teachers, but so, so crap, but also so many, but so ethical. When people understand what ethics are, and by the way, I don't get it right all the time, but people know my clients, and I've got a few just looking at the list, I've got a few clients on this call. Right. I'm very humbled that that I'm one of them guys that can take people on a journey, but that's not because I'm knowledgeable. That's actually because I fucking give a shit. And, then, and those, again, those things are different. But when I say this, I've worked with, like, I'm going to stick up for my teacher crew again. I've worked with seven or eight and nine, 10, 11, 15 guys that could be in academy football with their eyes closed. But why are they going to want to pick up 35 grand a year when they're senior vice principals in London secondary schools or head teachers on you know, 80, 90K a year, right? And they don't have to deal with with the nonsense of, of, of that standard, you know, in terms of football. So there are people out there that, you know, we don't want to go down the money route tonight, but the money's shocking. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was going to just that question there because, you know, it, it's basically minimum wage uh, for a lot of coaches that work in it. And, you know, when you're doing a session for 90 minutes or two hours, people will perceive, well, you just turn up and coach for two hours, but you got your planning if you do it properly. Then you yeah. got your, and then you update P PMA for 30 quid. Uh, and it ends up costing money. I think, you know, are we losing a lot of coaches? I mean, maybe if you're, you're young and you maybe live with your parents, you can still get away with it to a certain extent. But when you start having a family, and you say, you know, you've yeah, got kids yeah. who depend on you. Uh, uh, yeah. and, and I've got a solution to this, guys. You know, 
I would love to be a you know a senior figure at a football club one day and tie it all up for a board. You know, a board ain't got a clue really that goes on an academy. And looking at the profit and loss, and looking at and looking at and strategizing the money that's going out first team level, and you know doing an evidence and impact methodology for the board and saying, look, we I reckon if you give us one first team player back on nine ten k a week in the championship, right? So that's that's. You know, 19 k a week, what we're we looking at. So that's 40 grand, five, that's half a million. Yeah. So that's half a million a year on wages. And you give me 10 staff, right, on 50k a year, right? I can help hold them accountable, right? For, you know, as me, I could, you know, that, and that's where line management works. I can then hold them accountable. Yes, they're going to be paid 50 grand a year, but it ain't going to be a jolly up. Right? And I will make sure that the accountability factor of their performance is met. And that doesn't mean necessarily in a year or two years we will create players. Long-term player development happens for a reason. But you, you, you only got to look at what Brentford have done and just go, look, the model doesn't work. But I don't think the model doesn't work because the model doesn't work. The model doesn't work because people haven't got an understanding of, of, of income and expenditure and they haven't got an understanding of how we add value with a cohort of people and then hold them accountable, genuinely. Because I think football clubs, we, we've got to be careful. We don't want all football clubs to lose academies because it's still a huge part of the community. Yeah. Good stuff. So going, just going on to the, the, the book now, there's a chapter, Steve, uh, The Singer, Not The Song. Um, and uh, you speak about the different like levels of competence um, I think starting with the, uh, the consciously competent and then the income. Do you want to tell us a bit about that and that model? Well, when you said to me, um, I have to tell the truth again, we're going to do a bit on your book. I said to you, I ain't got a clue what's in my book these days. So thank you. Now, genuinely, I ain't got a clue. I have so much blind spots in my book. I haven't looked at it for five years. So when you recite this stuff, it's going to be important that you recite it. So I've got ideas. Yeah, the singer, not the song, came from when I did my level two and the FA coach educator in Sussex was a brilliant guy. I can't remember his name. I should do. That's quite rude of me. But he used to talk about the singer, not the song a lot. And I went, I'm stealing that. And it was so relevant to, to my teaching experiences again. The singer meaning the person and the human being and the song meaning the content. And I say in my book um, that I've worked with teaching assistants who have got no formal qualifications that are miles better than some of the teachers that I've worked with. They've got a degree that says they're good. So, again, you've only got to work in a school to see some of these teaching assistants at work and go, oh, my God, we need to get them qualified because they are unbelievable. So that was, that was the first instance. But the singer, not the song, is, is really about me, me being an average PE teacher with average knowledge, but bringing this shit to life with a personality. Like... That's where my super strengths were, really. It's like just being a, you know, I think I was probably a character when I was a kid anyway, but character in inner London is even more important because kids just say, sir, like you're proper boring. So like the most important thing in inner London is don't be boring, not be knowledgeable, like be a good person. <laughs> like, you know, be like, have make fun of yourself. Like you've got all these, I call it tacit. Tacit's a great word. The stuff that you do that you can't explain. Like all these tacit skills that, you 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 just do but you don't think about but then to truly be become metacognitive you've got to know what you know how you know it, and why you know it and I, and I think that's the key to teaching is that I've had to do so much reflection in my life 
for my qualifications, but also as good practice, that I am able to then to then teach what I know. And that that is that is an art, guys. And I don't mean me, I mean the coaches teach truly what you know. And I'm, I'm going to summarize this. Everyone knows my one-liners. Just because you taught it doesn't mean to say the players learnt it. Right? And I know I rattle these off like it just fly off my tongue. But coaches come in and go, Sayis, we fucking taught them that. We taught them that. Well, you clearly did, but they ain't learned anything. Yeah. So again, the singer, not the song, in summary, Spencer, because I'm waffling a bit, is just about bringing your content to life so people go away with wow moments and go wow this is how i want to be taught yeah i think that brings us really nicely into this next question um which is really a sort of bizarre situation that we've arrived at within academies here in the uk and and and, and that's that we've got a criteria for for, for certain jobs um, uh, you know, for example, the Advanced Youth Award or the FA Youth mo Modules that uh, can now actually no longer be assessed. However, if you do not actually work in the system, you cannot actually access this award. Why do you think that, you know, as a, as a nation, as a football nation, um, we're and as a nation overall, really, we're obsessed with qualifications over the knowledge and behaviours of our coach? First and foremost, I'm going to stick up for people that have gone and got quality. Like, we, we, we can't, like, just be a free-for-all and everyone no, just no. has to go in. I, I think it, I think the qualifications need to be underpinned with the self-awareness, right? So when I talk about the downgrade, how is it that one teacher down the corridor changes lives and they got a teaching degree, and the other teacher down the corridor is absolute shit and they got a teaching degree? And, and, and when I say this shit, I mean objectively. I don't mean subjectively. Let yeah, me apply yeah. objectively. I mean, pupil surveys say they're not very good. I mean, their results tell me they're not very good. Parent surveys tell me they're not very good. And line manager tells me they're not very good. Right? So I'm not just, you know, I'm trying to give some objective parameters here of, of ineffective teachers. But in football, it, for example, <laughs> we probably don't have the same rigour. You know, who, who do, what clubs do, like, player surveys? Like, I'll probably do it once a year when they remember and then forget after that. You know, all this sort of stuff that, that gives you information. But football, football's, I don't know, we can't be surprised by football. Football's institutionalised by itself. Most of you know that I've just left a, a League One football club and I'm not afraid to say it. I'm still waiting for the, for the CEO to, to call me and say thanks for your help. But yeah, that won't happen. So it is what it is. Yeah. And all we can do, guys... It's not be bitter, it's just be positive about the people that are caring and are kind and just surround yourself with those people. And when we look at, you know, we look at teaching and, you know, your your experiences that you had in, in these inner city schools and, you know, we spoke before about, you know, working in Peckham and Bethnal Green where, you know, I started education. You know, what, what can we really learn as football coaches from the teaching industry? I mean, you mentioned words like reflection there and, and surveys. You know, what, what should coaches do? to really help them develop. So, so they're working, you know, as teachers doing these big schools with two and a half thousand kids. So the science of learning, guys, simple as that. The pedagogical approach to how we learn. So if people are not aware of the word pedagogy, pedagogy means teaching and learning um, a toolbox, teaching and learning toolbox. So in my book, it's all in my book, isn't it? 
you know, people call it behavior management. That's a 1970s term, behavior for learning. How does behavior impact learning? What is behavior for learning? If we mention behavior, that's normally a negative connotation to people's behavior, but actually behavior could be good. But if you mention the word behavior, everyone goes, oh, bloody hell, they've been bad. Well, no, you behave really well, actually. So assessment for learning, assessment of learning, how we, how we connect summative and formative assessment. So I'm just rattling this stuff out, but this is the bedrock of whole school improvement. So as a vice principal, when I get this data to me, so let's say it's football, I'm getting high intensity sprints, distance covered, touches in the final third, touches in the penalty box, uh, receiving the ball on the back foot to play forwards, all of this stuff. We can, we can collate this stuff and that stuff then gives me, um, gives me trends of patterns of behavior from the player which then can evoke a conversation about how we put an intervention in. So this data is not, you know, I say data should be give you as many questions as it does answers, right? So this data is not to inform my, to, 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 um, to measure learning. This data is to inform me as, a, as an educator and as a player. The final thing I'm going to say about that, strength conditioning coaches, I've got all this fucking data and the data is shared on there and stays on their laptop, right? That's just weird. And then SEC guys go to me, oh, yeah, they don't want to know it. Yeah, they want to know. No, this is the problem with the game. You're not getting it off your laptop and you're not bringing it to life. That's your job, right? Your job, so just to summarise, to evidence that, I've got Premier League players that I work with and what I go through, and I'm not sports science, but I go through the data with them for 15 to 20 minutes on every one-hour call, right? And just having conversations around distance covered, high-intensity sprints, you know, and then all the all the objectives that we've set. Why is a pro club not doing that? And why am I getting employed by Premier League players? Because it's not happening. And I shouldn't be getting paid for that, guys, should I? Yeah, well, uh, this is it. Spencer, I mean, we, we, we've took some steps at NEFA, haven't we, over the last over the last couple of years to actually effectively yeah. subject ourselves to, 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 to an Ofsted inspection. Um, you know, what, you know, what... what Explain why. What, what have the benefits of that been for you? I think what we recognised a couple of years ago, Steve, is that we were we were observing each other, peer observations, and it was all football based. Uh, and we were benchmarking against other football clubs. You know, oh, you know, could we? Are our, is our delivery as good as so and so from the, the experience? And then what we decided to so employ an ex Ofsted lead inspector, a lady called Mary, lovely lady, and she comes in and she absolutely hammered us. We were thought we were doing well. We thought we were doing really good sessions. You know, the, the lads were engaged and there was some learning. But when it, Mary came in, we were sat in the office, weren't we? Like, oh, my God. Like, we are miles off here. So we basically rehashed everything. We did our session plans are about eight pages long now. Four coaches, mind. We're all input and we're linking in differentiation, Bloom's taxonomy and so on. But having Mary come from an Ofsted perspective basically gave us a massive volley up the backside about what teaching is. Well, what did she say then? What were the kickers so the so the audience can hear that? What what yeah. were like top three things that she said? So when she was questioning learners and asking them what they'd learned, they couldn't relay what the intended outcomes of our session was. So we were very much, yeah, everybody understand? Yeah, brilliant. Next one. So it was checking understanding. That was the main thing that we do. I mean, now we have, I think we spoke before, Steve, our lads at 16, 17 run the match days, we'd have do them because of the knowledge that they're building. So it was checking, understanding, it was planning, making sure that we, we had a touch point for every single player. So we're dealing with 40-odd players, maybe 50-some days, that we affect every player. Uh, so it was all those kinds of things. And it really, like, you know, we'd worked in the pro game. We thought, oh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're pretty good at what we do. We're good coaches. Nah, 
miles off, miles off what these lads actually needed. We thought we knew what they needed, but, but they didn't, they weren't learning. Their learning wasn't embedded, so they could speak to us about the knowledge that they gained. So that was a big thing. Mary comes in three, four times a year. Uh, you know, we, we clean all the cups, don't we, Ryan, when she's coming. We make sure the cups are nice and clean when she comes, but she's brilliant. And that's one of the best things that we've done. And uh, it really helps us develop as an academy. And again, sorry to interrupt you quickly, Ryan. How many, how many academy managers are going to go and get an offset inspector in? They won't. And it's spot on. And the big, the big thing for me that she really identified was the, the opportunities to, to test learning and to bring other people into the into the learning opportunities. When you are when you are speaking, maybe to somebody as an individual, and we've got some great tech and systems that we use at, at NEFA, There's loads of opportunities there to bring other people in. Ask them what they see. Ask what they see as well. You know, you're not always the oracle. It's the opportunity for you to verbalize and demonstrate knowledge and and look you know it's only our it's only our example but you know i don't know what you think spend but I, in terms of how we've changed has been the catalyst for our players have improved yeah. as footballers yeah yeah and you know as, as human beings a lot of our players go on and do coaching degrees you know because we, we know that only 0.04 percent that play the game do it professionally we know that and a lot of them will go off and do different things because of this wonderful lady mary who's come in give us a kick up the backside and say, hey, you might think you're coaching well, but you're not teaching well. Okay, okay, that has brought us to the halfway point um, already. Now, as always, we have organised for our guest to ask you guys a question that I want you to answer during the break. And I want you to write your answers in the chat box, okay? Not the Q&A box, the chat box. So, Steve, what is the question we would like the audience to answer? Well, I threw it back at you, didn't I? Um, because another one-liner, everybody knows more than somebody. So the two questions I gave you both were, what's more important, um, a team of mavericks or a team of safe hands? But don't do that, everybody, because that's been kiboshed. And the next question was, how do you know that you know something? And I'm giving you zero help on that question. People, are, there's a couple of people on the call that know me, so they would be able to answer that. But you two that are on the call, don't spoil everyone's thunder and write all the, all the right answers, because that will annoy me. Um, yeah, so yeah, how do you know that you know something? Uh, and then what do we do with that now, Ryan? Yeah, so we're gonna have five minutes break now. So please type your answers in the chat box. When we come back, we'll dive into some of the answers. So a bit of a refreshment and comfort break now, and we'll see you just after 20 past eight. So see you very shortly. See you shortly. 